Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi there, violinist. Thanks for coming across this week's episode of The Violin Podcast. Before we get to the episode, I want to say thank you to our new listeners and returning listeners. My goal is to provide as much value to you as possible to help you become a better violinist through interviews and other product recommendations. That being said, I do want to recommend a product today that I love to use with my beginner students, and that is the Bow Hold Buddy by Think for Strings. It's an amazing tool that helps fix straight pinkies and banana thumbs. Teachers, you know what I'm talking about with the banana thumbs. They're treacherous. They come in different colors, and it's easy to install on your bow. It supports a curved pinky and also supports all fingers of the right hand. Please visit our website at violinpodcast.com slash products to learn more about the Bowhold Buddy today. And you could also learn about the other products that we recommend on the Violin Podcast. Again, violinpodcast.com slash products. Welcome to the Violin Podcast, where we have conversations with violinists from around the world. I'm your host, Eric Mergala. Thank you for joining us today. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to hit the subscribe button so that way you get notified for when new episodes come out. My guest today is the co-founder of Things for Strings and the co-creator of the Bowhold Buddy. She is a Suzuki Violin Program Coordinator and Visiting Specialist for Montclair University. She has served as a clinician at the South Carolina Suzuki Institute at Furman University and is an active performer and chamber coach in the New York City area. Please let me welcome Ruth Bronze. Ruth, it's so nice to meet you. Thank you so much. I'm a huge fan of your Bowhold Buddy, by the way. And I would love to talk to you about that because it works. Um, and uh, again, thank you so much for coming today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned, you're the co-creator of the Bowhold Buddy. And, uh, you know, that's a very entrepreneurial thing as a musician to kind of create a product and put it out to market. And um, even before before we started recording, you mentioned that you kind of you can't wait for your you can't wait for opportunities to come your way. So, um, but before we get to that, I want I want the audience to learn more a little. I want the audience to learn more a little bit about you. So, uh, can you share us your background in the violin, how you got into teaching and performing? Uh, I am I'm a fifth or sixth generation music teacher. My great grandmother's mother was a piano teacher. <laughs> it's pretty much continued since then. My mother's a, a cellist and cello teacher. Um, and my daughter teaches. Uh, she's a, now has a school orchestra teaching job. Uh, so it was just kind of inevitable. I always like the psychology of teaching and I love music. Um, I got my I went to school in Philadelphia uh, and got my master's in viola performance. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, my mother kept on encouraging me to take uh, Suzuki teacher trainings all through school. So um, I was thoroughly indoctrinated in the, in the philosophy that, that every child can, and it's the teacher's job just to figure out how to get that child to do it <laughs> um, by the time I had my first student. And I've been enjoying figuring kids out ever since. I think that's always a constant battle um, trying to figure out what the kids are uh, thinking these days, you know, um, definitely the kids growing up in 2021 are 
it's definitely different than how I grew up. You know, <laughs> um, I would never have thought in my age I would be teaching and let alone be taking lessons virtually through the internet, which is uh, which has been just kind of a mind-boggling thing. You know, as we are still in the COVID nineteen pandemic. Um, but yeah, it's 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 hard. About 10, 10 years or so ago, I had a student who had been with me for maybe five years already started when he was really little. Um, he, his family moved to Saudi Arabia and their, their parting gift to me was a webcam. And I'm like, what do I do with this? <laughs> and they said, cause you're gonna still be Thomas's teacher. And I said, no, I'm not gonna do that. That does not sound fun. But they finally convinced me that literally there was not anybody that could work with him within a couple hundred miles. Wow. And um, so I did work with him for about five years until he came back to the States to go to boarding high school. And, you know, he kept up with his class, you know, uh, it was, it was pretty amazing what we were able to do over zoom. Uh, you just have to use words more. <laughs> right. I think, um, especially, I think one of the most important things as a music educator is the ability to communicate. And um, especially you have to describe violent technique a lot more specifically, not just for the student, but I'm sure for the parent, because the parent is there attending the lesson. Um, yeah, but they're, they're the usually time. off screen and I don't really know what they're doing. So I've mm. kind of just tuned them out. I, I, I approach it that the, the child is my client and I, I, I'm 110% focused on that, um, it, you know, once you get past the first dozen lessons where you're trying to get the parent off their cell phone to understand that, that, that I really want them to participate a little bit, but parents are very busy these days. Yeah, no telling. And I'm sure there, there are a lot of parents who actually listen to the violin podcast. So I'm sure that they can relate to what you're saying that um, all of a sudden they're working from home or they have been working from home for a very long time and then trying to create that mental space to help, you know, teach or even practice with their child at a very high level um you know we kind of had to bend the rules a little bit at least for me i had to bend the rules a little bit and kind of reset the expectations of what i expected out of the families because as you probably can attest to that music is a very family oriented activity where you can get everybody involved um and you clear you know you teach suzuki so i wanted to get your take on your philosophies on suzuki and what you uh find valuable or invaluable about um Suzuki? Um, I mean, Dr. Suzuki's been gone now for over 20 years. And, and uh, even during when he was still alive, there, there started to get to be uh, misconceptions about what is Suzuki. And I always remember one time my mother was in Japan at a Suzuki conference. And, uh, and we'd been to many conferences with Dr. Suzuki. So he he at least looked like he knew, recognized faces. And um, he was riding the elevator with my mother and he said, hello, who are you? And my mother said, Martha Bronze. And he said, I am Shiniki Suzuki. I teach the Shiniki Suzuki method and you teach the Martha Bronze method. He was trying to say, he, he never liked the idea of, the, of Suzuki method, but this is how you do it. It was he was all about the philosophy is that you need to believe that the child can and we believe that the child probably should <laughs> that there's many benefits and that it's our job just to figure it out try anything learn from anywhere 
learn from the child, learn from other teachers, learn from reading, learn from videos, you know, use all available resources. He was, you know, the big resource that he, he learned about when he was a young man and discovered the violin was the, you know, recordings, uh, you know, the record. And, and I think, I, I like to think that he would have embraced any technology or gizmo or gadget that would help kids develop their talent. Yeah, the entire Suzuki philosophy is all about talent education, right? But it's interesting what you say that the that the Shiniki Suzuki method is different than the Martha Bronze method. I think that's he what makes not, that that's what makes the education so personal. Right. He did not expect it to be all cookie cutter. And I, you know, just last week I got a, an email from a, a Suzuki teacher in Canada, and she was she'd come across a blog post I'd done 10 years ago. Um, where I showed my uh, review chart that I used with my kids. I still use the same, the same file. And um, she said, I noticed you've got some fiddle tunes on there. That's not Suzuki. I've been teaching Suzuki for five years. And, you know, um, I, I, I think my kids would really like to learn fiddle tunes because that's really big in Canada. But um, I don't want to, you know, like not be Suzuki. <laughs> it just makes me so angry that this there's this message that goes out there that's, that, it, that Suzuki is limiting. And, you know, I wrote back and I said, you, you have to teach from your heart. I mean, you know, I always tried every lesson to say, I love this, you know, because I, I, I'm, I'm sharing something that's very personal to me. Music is personal. And if, if um, you know, fiddle tunes are relevant in your culture and or your, your students' culture, by all means, throw them in. I think... Uh... Yeah, spot on to what I, I was thinking. I think that Suzuki, the, the, the books in general, they offer a really good template, I'd say. They offer a good template and then you can go with the template or you, depending on what the level of the student is, if he or she is progressing or much rather kind of go with the template, I think it would be very nice to branch out. Um, I know that uh, there's, a, there's a musician down in the South, his name is David Cutler, who actually recompose the idea of the Suzuki books into like rock and jazz kind of um, kind of melodies and yeah. harmonies. So I, I encourage people to take a look at that. Um, I will look it for David Cutler. I'll remember that. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, I actually was able to interview him on the Everyday Musician podcast. And we talked a little bit about um, his process and how he did a Kickstarter and the whole business side of things is what I'm really interested in, because we're no different in my mind, in my view, then Haydn, you know, Mozart and Beethoven, they were all entrepreneurs back in their day trying to create music, trying to create content for an audience. And I'd love to talk to you a little bit about catering to your students and your clients and your audience and with the Bohold Buddy, because it's such a really neat invention. Um, can you tell us the backstory behind the Bohold Buddy and how that came about? Well, I all... Half of my family are musicians, the other half are engineers. And I always thought that somebody would make it. And I, I remember when I was closer to your age, I've been teaching maybe five years, teaching at a lovely private school and sitting on the edge of the stage because um, I taught in their all-purpose room after school. And, and um, it was putting finger tapes on a kid's violin. And I remember Ben said, you know, why, why, why don't you invent a clear sticker with all the frets on it? And I said, well, that's a great idea, but I'm only 26 and I would have no idea how to get this off the ground. So, 
and and I, I funneled my entrepreneurial um, spirit back then into wedding quartets. You know, we were doing um, four four weddings a weekend, uh, pretty much for ten years uh, with, with my quartet back in those days. Um, but then, when, you know, later when I when this idea occurred to me. Uh, I was preparing my students for the first time for the American String Teachers Association um, ASTACAP Certificate Advancement Program exam. And, uh, you know, I was nervous about letting my somebody else look at my babies, my students, and look at their, at their um, different aspects of violin playing. They had a 10-point rubric back then, and one of the points was bow hold. So I thought, well, uh, the exam's in May, it's February, let's make this bow hold inspection week. And I just really, really, really looked at every kid's bow hold. To this day, I don't know why there was a roll of duct tape in the room, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> probably for the unlimited pinkiness that you're probably about to build. <laughs> right, I, I made lots of pinky, pinky nests and, uh, and then the kids were like, well, why can't you make me a thumb nest? Because that's really cool. And, and so I made a thumb nest and uh, for years, I had always been sticking a piece of chalk or an eraser or something between the, the index and the middle finger. Um, remembering uh, Yasha Brodsky always had a cigarette in his hand, the old Russian violin teacher. Right? Yeah, that, that's pretty, that's pretty and, Russian um, right with there. With ashes yeah. going down on his violin. Very Russian, very, very 1960s, 70s. And um, so, you know, I was always thinking about that spacing there. And when I put a third piece, a wad of duct tape there, I just saw the kids' hands relax and they all got this goofy smile on their face. And, and then I realized I was onto something because it's, it's not this finger goes here and this finger goes there. It's that whole relaxed and flexible approach. That's why you do see different variations of the bowl that work for fine players. It's because they're not grippy about it, they're relaxed. And um, so I went home and on the drive home, I, I remember thinking, well, I don't really need the houses. What I'm really trying to do is fill in the areas where I don't want the fingers <laughs> to wander into. And at the time I had 80 students because it was right before the, the 2009 financial crisis. And I wasn't saying no to students. I had too many. <laughs> but um, so after making 80 custom fixes, I had it pretty clear in my head that if I just put a blob of clay on a bad bow and stuffed my fingers into it and removed what wasn't absolutely necessary to keep the fingers from wandering too far out of position, I'd end up with what I wanted. And, um, and, and I was really happy with it. And the duct tape things didn't work for more than a week or two because they all got smashed and stiff. And, Right, or gaffer's tape, or right, and, or, the, uh, or the corn strips. Try to put them in the pinky. Oh, I can't those. tell you how many times I came home from teaching with those corn pads on my pants, and I never used them. They, they, you know, the school teachers would put them on, and but they don't stay in one place, and they didn't really do the job because when a kid's hand wants to do something, it, it, they can be pretty forceful about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely. To. I mean, I, even for me, like uh, back back in the day, they they taught us in like pedagogy class on how to make the, the pinky nest. And, and if you, if you emergency situation, you have like the corn strips, but I find that like, even it's like too gunky, like it's like the glue, it doesn't make it really like an, right. a pleasurable yes. experience to hold the bow. It doesn't make it fun. And, but right. I, but I also so I realized, love, you know, yeah. I, realized I didn't, I didn't want to go with glue. I, I needed it to be adjustable for all hand sizes. And I, 
driving home, I realized, well, I know a rubber manufacturer, my old Girl Scout leader's family, third generation rubber manufacturers. Maybe I'll go have a chat and get 50 or so of these made. Well, then I found out how expensive it would be, <laughs> you know, to, to get the molds. Injection molding is very pricey. Um, and so I uh, talked about it with my mom, who then was convinced that cellists need a, needed a similar thing of filling in the negative space. And uh, we didn't think about it too long, maybe a day. And we thought, okay, let's, we're all in. We really want this because we were thinking that in a 30 minute lesson, typically I would spend at least five minutes tinkering with a kid's bow hole. Right. For maybe five years. That's a lot of lesson minutes. You know, by the time they were, had been studying five years, then they had a reliable bow hole, but you still look at it. You still have to keep watching it until they go off to college. Um, and and I, I thought, well, hopefully other violin teachers will care as much and, and, and realize that they can save a lot of lesson time by, by putting this on. You know, now the first the child's first lesson, I can cover the bow hold and the bow and pizzicato and the names of the parts of the instrument and even in playing the open E a few times. I can do all of that in a 30 minute lesson. Yeah, you get um, straight to the content. You don't have to yeah, worry yeah. about a year of having yeah, to play with the bow hole anymore. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so the kids are getting much further, much faster. And, and you know, they leave the lesson saying, oh, I'm awesome at the bow hold. And I'm like, I've won because um, if you keep picking at a, at a child's bow hold or anything, if you just keep picking, 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 picking at it, what they're not thinking is, oh, how lucky I am that I have a teacher that cares about this important technique and is making sure I understand it. They're thinking that there's something really hard about this and I'm not very good at it and perhaps I should try something else. Right, and that gets them to be discouraged about the instrument entirely because even they might have a good left hand, then the right hand all of a sudden has been a huge problem for a very long time. And uh, it just gets very discouraging for the students, also for the teachers because, you know, it gets it's really draining as a teacher to be able to like, okay, let's stick the pinky, stick the spacing, make sure the hands I, I, are nice that and relaxed. Week was, that week I was looking at everybody's bow hold. I was just about ready to go to a tattoo parlor and under my bangs get bent thumb for pinky. <laughs> <laughs> and oh I just my saved gosh. myself some breath. Um, and, and, and also because they, they do have a, a relaxed and effective bow hold from the very first lesson, they can make good sounds. And that's its own reward. That's incredible to know that it was kind of like a spark of inspiration for you. And I think sometimes with the, like these um, really awesome business ideas is that you, you could be doing something random. Like I love all these um, entrepreneurial musician stories about like an app or for your, um, for your situation, the Bohol buddies, like, yeah, there was a need for this. So why not me just take advantage of the opportunity and to, and to provide something valuable for people. And, and, we, uh, and we, were not, we were not sure that other teachers would care. <laughs> right, you know? yeah, just like with this yeah. podcast. Like, so I, don't know, we, I don't know if people are gonna be listening to the, our banter right now, <laughs> but, um, but- But you do it because it's important. And that's what my mom and I figured that, you know, with, between the two of us at the time, we had over 75 years of teaching between us. And we thought, well, if we never make our money back on paying for these molds and everything else that goes along with starting a business, you know, we're going to enjoy our teaching a whole lot more. And we're going to still be teaching either way. Um, you know, and, and after I arrived at, at the, the basic 
form and function of what I wanted to do, you know, then I'm like, oh, duh, it has to be colorful and, and duh, it has to have animals. And they clearly, the, yeah, I love, I love the fish nest and I love the f actual frog between the index finger and, yeah, and, and the, the second the frog, finger. The frog took me two weeks to come up with because when I started playing with the, the basic shape, I thought, well, what animal could it be? And I'm a cat person. So I kept on thinking it was the, that wedge was a profile of a seated cat and I couldn't get the, the, the head small enough. And I thought, well, what other animal has a really small brain and a big butt? And um, I've had some rude answers when I've told other people about this before, but, but the only animal I could think of was a frog. And when that, when that hit me, it was like, why didn't I think of that two weeks ago? Because I'm not a sculptor, I'm not an artist. Why, a frog at a frog. With all that. A frog at the a, frog. And then I thought, well, what, then for the pinky support, I thought, well, a tadpole would, would be kind of gross. So came up with a fish for his little friend. <laughs> It's just wonderful to to hear this backstory because my my story with the violin podcast was like, hmm, there are a bunch of music podcasts out there, but is there a violin podcast? So I'm like, okay, I go I go on the internet. I'm like violinpodcast.com and I go, oh my gosh, it's not taken. So I'm like, there's a clear need to make sure that the violin podcast is a resource for all musicians and all violinists. So I'm like, it was just like it was obvious to me at that point that it was a need that people might. I want to listen to interviews and conversations with the uh, violins and in your case, violists. And, uh, <laughs> have, have you, have you been surprised by the amount of adult beginners, adult self learners that have found you? Cause that, that surprised me. Yeah. It surprised me too. I think, um, you know, the, the listenership of the violin podcast has been all over the place. I mean, we, we know that the demographic has been like closer to like, musicians entering conservatories and music college between the ages of 18 and 24. But there is a huge interest between 35 and 44, which was quite um, interesting to me when I whenever I look at my, uh, my statistics for the violin podcast and how I can, you know, spread it out to, to more people in, in different age groups. That, that is shocking to me. And um, a lot of people like I send the, the interviews to my students and the, the parents are like, wow, like, you know, we, we, we listened to this episode and we applied it in the lesson and we applied it in the practice room and it worked, you know, like this person had really something valuable to say about practicing and we tried it and it worked. And, and, uh, it's, it's encouraging to know that like the, um, you know, I'm providing a solution as you are just trying to create a lot of value for, for your client, as you would say, because, um, in, in many ways, our students are our clients and we want to make sure we best serve them uh, as, as best as possible. Um, but I want to I want to get to know you more as like a performer and and uh, chamber musician, because you you are a chamber musician in the New York City area. What kind of chamber music do you like to play? Quartets. Quartets. Any reason, any specific reason why? That was a really quick answer, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's like quartets. And I know you have a history of like wedding quartets, but like, yeah, can you describe? I, I my training, my training was deep into chamber music. Um, my conservatory, the New School of Music, which is now part of Temple University, was run by this, the Curtis String Quartet. And um, it, you know, we it was very heavy, very heavy on string quartet playing. Um, and I spent several summers with Charlie Castleman's uh, quartet program. Again, very heavy on, on quartet playing. And, and I'm a 
I'm actually a fraud as a violinist because, because um, uh, I started on, on viola. And I love, Ooh, interesting. I love the role of viola, uh, how it's sometimes supporting the second violin. Sometimes I'm with a cello and, and those rare opportunities where you actually get a bit of melody. And I'm, I'm, I love being the supportive role, the inner color of the group. Uh, I, I just love it. That's a very Mozartian thing you said. You know, Mozart always loved being in the middle, in the middle of the music too. So, um, any kind of particular? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, you know, and, and when I sang in choirs as a kid, I I much preferred singing alto. I I love to add. I love to be the one that is not necessarily center stage and in a hot seat, but I love to add. I remember once I was pregnant. And my my quartet had a rehearsal without me, and for some reason, and and I the, when I joined, rejoined them at the next rehearsal, they said, "Yeah, we didn't really miss you when you were gone, but it does sound better that you're back." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> at least they're honest. It's <laughs> <laughs> like making things a little better. <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of respect for my viola colleagues. Um, I I had a professor back in conservatory who. I had the privilege of learning from, and he also played a lot of viola. So my my studio was combined with violin and viola as well. So I learned a lot about viola, with despite not having touched a viola. <laughs> so whenever I you whenever talk about when, it, it's the same, but it feels oh so different. <laughs> yeah, and of course, violas. If you're listening to the podcast, then you know, forgive me, but you know, there are similarities, right? And then, but the the arm weight, I think, is a huge thing. You know, all of a sudden, you like you big like you make yourself create these huge muscles these huge shoulder muscles to dig in and pull the string and pull the sound out of the instrument um, much more sinky sinky into the string rather than float above the string sort of playing yeah yeah do you teach um a violist at all or is it primarily I, violinist i i most it's hard to, it's hard to make a full studio of viola students i'll just tell you <laughs> that's a viola joke right there <laughs> I don't have any viola students right now. Typically, what usually happens is um, around middle school. Um, you know, I'll point out the competitive advantages, like with all state competitions, to consider the viola. And I might, I might swing a you know a student here and there over to the dark side. Then, um, and uh, or a lot of times, if I have a kid that has uh, completed all ten levels of the American of the ASTACAP program, um, they'll, they'll like to challenge themselves and, and do it again on the do the, the highest level again on viola. So um, I'm really proud that I've, I've gotten a couple of students. You know, they in tenth grade they finish their their ASTA program with their Mozart concerto, and then um, a year or two later they're doing the Walton concerto on viola. That's and fantastic. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think um, every violinist, I think, should get an opportunity to play or perform viola. I think it is very valuable for the musician to be very, um, as my professor would say, marketable. You know, because you have you have more opportunities. Well, you know, when we the uh, we had the age of the virtuoso uh, with Paganini, it was very much the specialist, and that hung on. And now I'm seeing my students who are now in college. Uh, I've got a student at Oberlin uh, studying music production and, you know, and he, he can play. I was just in awe. I went to a musical that he played here in Montclair and he would, 
he would pick up his mandolin and, and then he would pick up a baton and conduct and then he would pick up his violin and play and then he would pick up his guitar and play. It's like, he was good at so many things. <laughs> and um, uh, and I think that that's, that's how the, the, the next generation for a little while is gonna have to be to make it in the, in the very tough world of music. It's, that's very interesting you say that. So you're saying you so you're saying that more uh, more conservatory students should branch out outside their instrument. If they, I think if they want to, they want to continue being active in the musical world. They should be open, mm -hmm. open to 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 trying trying different things. Like not to say I'm only going to do classical music because whatever you know. Try try some other options because you might need it. Definitely. I, um, again, I would never have thought about starting a podcast back when I was in college. I was dedicated, dedicated most of my years trying to be an orchestral musician. And then, right. Yeah. Um, you know, tr you know, learning all the excerpts you can find like Mahler one, Mahler five, the Beethoven symphonies, the, the Strauss, you know, tone poems, everything you can, Im you can imagine. Then before my senior year, I'm like, I took an audition and I'm like, well, what am I doing with my life? You know, is this sustainable for me? I still love music, but I don't know if I want to, you know, and this is a kind of realistic conversation that I hope the young audience gets to, gets to um, take value from because, you know, you can't, you don't have to define yourself as only a orchestral musician or just a chamber musician. You could be a little bit of everything. So that way you, you create more opportunities for yourself. I think just being open, as, I, as you said, is just uh, really key into just becoming just a musician that you know, playing music and becoming an artist. I think that's um, something that we can continue all striving. But when it comes to chamber music, what kind of composer do you like to perform? Um, have there been any like lately that you've been reading or something that you've been really interested in? Uh, well, so the last concert I did, I still have a couple earworms from us. You know, um, we did the Dvorak American Quartet and sure. And, and Dvorak was a violist, and, and so it wouldn't be, it's not surprising that, that there's some good, good tunes in there. There are some great tunes. Yeah, Dvorak <laughs> has great melodies, especially in the, in, especially in the American. Um, yeah. Are, um, what are your thoughts on like any solo viola or violin repertoire that you're fond of? Like when it comes to like teaching your more advanced students, do you branch out of Suzuki, as we mentioned before, and kind of set up your well, own um, your own repertoire? Or well, like? I've been using the um, I, I'm I'm deeply invested in the in the American String Teachers Association ASTACAP program um, because it, I think it offers so many benefits, uh, helping students set short, medium, and long term goals. You know, like it blows blows my six year old mind when. I, mind when I, you know, I tell them, well, we're doing this now because I'm really planning on in 10 years, you doing this. <laughs> and, you know, they're like, oh, I just thought this was this year's activity was signing up for violin. You know, you need to set, plant the seeds that this is a long-term project and I'm going to be there the whole time. And, um, and the, the curriculum is very Suzuki friendly up, up about halfway through it. Once you get past um, Suzuki book four, um, you run into problems because Suzuki ran into problems. Uh, he did not have the copyright permissions for the pieces that he wanted in those middle books. 
Um, he wanted things like Shardas, things like meditation with Fem Thais. He wanted those things in there. That's why if you look how skinny books five, six, seven, and eight are. They're basically stripped down to just handle sonatas that he had the copyright permissions for. Um, so um, I, I do add uh, those other style periods into my students playing at that time. By the time they get into junior high and high school, then I just have them whip out their cell phone and they take a picture of the, of the rep suggested repertoire list. And I say, you know, go spend the summer YouTubing and, and you come back and, and tell me what you want to learn because I was getting tired of always, you know, I know which ones are the easiest pieces on the list, but I was always tired of teaching exactly the same ones. I don't mind teaching the same thing over and over again because you do get better each time that you teach it. Hence the very first twinkle variation. <laughs> um, I don't get tired of teaching it. Um, yeah. But it has been fun to see some of the pieces that the kids have picked off the list. Um, last summer, they picked up a banjo and banjo and fiddle. Oh, I, that's a classic. I love banjo and fiddle. I've played that in my Suzuki book. What a romp is that? It's so fun. It's so fun. <laughs> and imagine, you know, playing that with like 17 other violinists. It's great. Just a big sound, violin sound. Um, you got them all to do that. That's amazing. You know, oh, I didn't, but, um, you know, I, you know, I'm from Chicago and there's this really amazing violin pedagogue, um, you know, Betty Hay Kunki. I don't know if you've ever heard of her, but she's, she's still teaching Suzuki and she's, uh, she's incredible. And, you know, we would have like these biweekly, um, biweekly studio, not studio classes, but like repertoire classes where, you know, like the students would be there for like two and a half hours, just playing through the repertoire. And we'd start from not from Twinkle. I mean, the older students didn't have to arrive at the Twinkle stages, but right. halfway through, we would play like hour and a half worth of music. But then come to concert, we would start from the very, the most difficult piece. And then we would go down all the way to Suzuki right. one, which is right. in traditional Suzuki, you know, method, method style where you have all of these violins. Just, <laughs> it's, it's incredible. Like you have like this entire um, stage full of Suzuki students and Chicago Symphony Hall, which is, something that you know I'll, I'll take with me for the rest of my life and i think that's what inspired me as well to be a, a suzuki teacher because my aunt was a violin teacher and uh just the the level of like discipline she was able to uh mrs Haig, the, the level of discipline that she's able to kind of commit to the students i'm like okay well no this this didn't sound good and she would make everybody practice for the next repertoire class like believe me she would <laughs> she would but yeah, she somehow put in banjo and fiddle in the in the repertoire class, and it, and it worked out lovely. It was fun. It's one of those. Yeah, there's, there's, there's kids, kids can do can do amazing things because there's a little bit of safety in numbers, and there's motivation in numbers. You know, they mm -hmm. want to keep up with their friends. And yeah, I think what's cool about music is that there's that social aspect of everything, right? I think that's something that we're we're lacking these days, and hopefully, the as the year goes on, you know, we, it'll get better. But um, you said you had a studio of 80 students at one point. How were you? At one point I did that. I was teaching. Um, I, I was, I, I, my, most of my career, I'm not so much the last since Boho Buddies has taken over my time, but, um, I've, you know, I've, I've taught around lovely private schools, uh, where I could see students during the day, during their, their recess or their choice periods. So immediately after school. Um, and then I would see community students. 
uh, you know, up until the early evening hours. Uh, and now, so it's not like you had 80 students in one studio, you had probably multiple teaching obligations that I had, I, yeah, I taught at either my home studio at the school or on weekends up at the college. Um, I love my affiliation with the, the local college because they give me their most lovely graduate piano student uh, to, to accompany the group classes. Um, we really have been missing the group classes this last year because uh, the kids need to see each other. They need to play with each other. Um, and, the, you know, the, and then I also recommend that once the kids have finished book one, that they, you know, they have either uh, some kind of an orchestra experience either from the beginning ensemble that the college offers up to we have in the New York area, we have several youth orchestra options. Right, in New York, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and the kids, some of them are doing um, some virtual programs that the kids seem to enjoy. They come and tell me, oh, we, I learned that in theory class that we did online. Like, oh, that's good. <laughs> sure. Um, you know, but um, we really, uh, we're really hoping that we're, we're, we're going to really enjoy seeing each other again in September. That's, that's we're hold, hanging our hat that September will be normal, right? <laughs> Cross our fingers, yeah. Um, you know, you seem to have like 100% focus on your on your students and on Bohold Buddies. What do you like to do outside of music? I mean, I know it's really important for us musicians to kind of take a mental break. You know, we're around music all the time. Is there some any hobbies that you like and anything that you like uh, to do in your spare time? I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, my husband, <laughs> I turned the camera around, but my husband's there. Steve, smile. I love plants. <laughs> I'm, I'm not one of them. So. Oh, okay. And, <laughs> no, he, and uh, we're a pretty musical household. My husband's a, a bandsman. Mm. Uh, he ha has recently founded a community band in our area. And uh, wonderful. Used to be an Air Force band commander. Uh, and I love gardening. I'm right now waiting for the snow to melt because I'm hoping that my tulip bulbs that I planted are doing fine and they're going to put on a great show in the month. Goodness. So. Yeah, we have we had a lot of snow in the East Coast, especially in the Northeast where where we are. I mean, New Jersey had a lot of snow just a couple of weeks ago. Right. Yeah, we're, we're, we're about done with snow. We're <laughs> <laughs> You've had it up to here with snow. You're, you're done. I, you know, we're like noticing the snow is strong. Let it keep going. I mean, the sun is strong. Let's let's melt the snow away and get on with spring. We're ready. Yeah, we've, we've been getting a lot of more sunlight here as well. And we're like, oh, let's bring on the sun. On the lot. other hand, being all set up with remote teaching, we didn't miss any lessons. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, that's that's good. Although um, has this actually brings up an interesting conversation in terms of connectivity to the students, because have you had any experience with students being able to, uh, not being able to go online? Um, has there ever been a point where that was the case? Yeah, we've we've I've lost a few lessons here and there due to technical difficulties. Um, but uh, I've since switching completely over to Musi, um, they've been much, much less. It seems seem it i think it's secret to its success is that it has somewhere in its software it detects how much bandwidth is available and so if it knows that it's not a lot of bandwidth it'll shrink the picture that you see of each other so you get a tinier picture with not so many glitches and freezings i understand okay i'll have to take a look at that musi.live yeah. right musi.live m-u-z-i-e 
that M-U-Z-I-E. Got it. Definitely right. check it out. It's it's so superior to Zoom and uh, to Skype. And it okay. seems to work uh, whether kids are seeing me on a 10-year-old tablet or an iPhone. It, it's okay. the, the students that insisted last year, last summer on seeing me funneled through their Xbox on the big TV over the fireplace. They had so many glitches, you know, they ended up not continuing. I lost maybe four or five students just because they they just wouldn't, they were locked into whatever technology they wanted and it, it wasn't working. It wasn't working. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, because I know the, that they're- And the very youngest students, like the, the, I wouldn't recommend the four and five-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to, to have, it's really hard to give them a, a, an, a, a longer experience. It, the, the ones that have continued, I've like cut their lessons to like 15 minutes just to keep them going. Right. Um, we're, um, we're divide up the lesson two parts throughout the week. I know that I've done that as well. Yeah, that would have been good. I didn't think of that. That was a, that's a good idea. Yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't take, I can't take the credit. I got a, I got an idea from somebody else, but like, yeah, if they're signed I, up for I like think, a certain amount of time, then you split them up and. Yeah, that would have, that would have been that was a good idea. But th- 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 those little students, I'm, like, I'm hoping I'll, we'll give it a try again in September. And I do have a handful of students that come to my studio. My my music studio is is pretty small, uh, ten feet deep and maybe seven feet wide. So I was able to bifurcate it with a plastic shower curtain pretty well. Mm. And um, so with masks and shower curtains and hand sanitizer galore, we we've managed to stay the healthy. Galore. <laughs> Oh yeah, you're telling me just like, you know, the hand, the lights all hand wipes. I could could just picture like, you know, 20 years from now, it's like, you know, do you have those games or like, what time period are you, you know, um, what is this time period? You just like hold up a medical mask and everybody's going to know it's been 2020, 2021. Um, Yeah, but you know, the the kids are pretty flexible with it. Yeah, I'm I'm super impressed with all the students who have been um, really resilient um, and have, like really flexible with this situation. You know, I can't imagine being a five or six year old and understanding. Wait, I'm supposed to go to school. Why aren't Why aren't I in school? Yeah, and I just the psychology behind that. I'm I, I give them a lot of credit for the parents or the students. Yeah, so. I homeschooled my own daughter up through fifth grade. So I, 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 you know, I loved having her around, but I do understand it was always a juggle to get things done. Sure. Uh, yeah. I guess, I guess, especially if you're so used to bringing your child to school and then this, the child is like, wait, why aren't I going? What's going on? But when I first saw a picture on Twitter, uh, some, some violin teacher from France was showing um, a picture of her teaching from behind a plastic screen, wearing a mask with plastic gloves on. Um, I just oh found the whole thing so revolting and, and I, it bothered me and bothered me and I thought about it and I thought about it and I thought, well, what's really bothering me, a lot of the Twitter commenters were like, well, you can't play the violin with rubber gloves, you know, but I'm like, no, what was bothering me was the, the lack of face because like I said before, music is so personal and what I, one of the lessons I learned from Dr. Suzuki is if you say it with a smile, you can sell it. <laughs> and, and if you take the smile out of the lesson, you know, that's, that's huge. And I found it so abhorrent. And I thought I could never teach that way. I'd rather teach from behind a plastic curtain. But here we are six months into it and I'm wearing a mask. Yeah. 
you know, it's also like really nice to smile, like, yeah, you need to practice more. <laughs> and yeah, that's you... like the indirect jab of like, yeah, you, you need to practice more, you know? If you smile, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you do need to practice one more hour each day. Yes. <laughs> uh, Ruth, it's been such a joy to be able to um, speak with you. And thank you so much for responding to my Twitter, uh, to my tweet, and being able to talk on the Violent Podcast. It's been such All a right. pleasure. Um, where can people learn more about you? And they um, can uh, please go to thingsforstrings.com, things, the number four, strings.com, and they can uh, learn more about Bowhole Buddies for violin and viola. Or if they're uh, cellists or bass players with a French style bow, they can learn about the cellophants. The the cellophants? Oh yeah, the cellophants. Yes. The um, cellophant. It's an elephant for their for their bow to keep their the cello elephants. The yeah, and I will also leave an affiliate link down below um, in the podcast description notes, so that way you can um, you can click on that and be redirected to purchase a bowhole buddy. So um, Ruth, thanks so much for your time today. Right. It's a pleasure. Thank yeah. you.